as you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, and then we'll go to John 17. The song said, why are you trying to figure it out? God has already worked it out. And this morning, I want to talk on the subject of what love does. What love does. Father, we thank you that you are a working it out kind of God. Even though we may not see it, you're working. And even when we don't understand how, you're working. You're always on time. You didn't bring any of us this far to leave us because you promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And we know that if you be with us and for us, who can be against us? Today, Father, I want to talk about your love. And I want us to be able to grasp it by faith like we never have before. Because your love has a way of casting out fear. Your love, which is perfect. Your love has a way of covering a multitude of sin. Your love is powerful and amazing. So be with me, the speaker. Be with your people, the hearer. And allow all of us to apply what we are exposed to today from the word of God. And we can only do all of these things with the help of the Holy Spirit. We yield to him. We submit to him. We say, Lord, teach us. Fill us. Lead us. Empower us. Embolden us. And show us what love does. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. What love does. Every child, under the sound of my voice, needs to hear at least three things. Every child. They need to hear, I love you. Every child needs to hear, I'm pleased with you. And every child needs to hear, you're good at something. Every child needs to hear, I love you. I'm pleased with you. And you are good at something. I remember when I was a child of 11 years old. And I was playing baseball on a traveling team in Baltimore, Maryland. I was a catcher, a back catcher. And I was selected from my team to be on the all-star team. The all-star team is when they grab players from various teams to come on one team to play the other side, the National League or the American League, what have you. So I, I made the all-star team as the catcher, and I started. 
played the whole game. My parents sat up on the hill in lawn chairs along with the other parents and they watched the game. A lot of people were there and man, what, what an honor to be in the all-star game but also knowing that my parents were there. Well, on this particular day, again at 11 years old, I, I didn't have the best game of my career. Matter of fact, it's probably the worst game I ever played. I got up to bat three times and I struck out three times. Horrible, felt so bad. I can't even remember if our team won or lost. I just know I felt like a loser that day. And I remember walking off the field with my head down, dejected, just feeling so bad. And my father and my mother, they came over to me and they had their lawn chairs under their arm and they were so happy. And my father saw my disposition and knowing me well, he came up to me and says, he says, son, everybody has a bad game. I know that you're an all-star because if you weren't an all-star, you wouldn't have made the team. Now, when he said that to me, it almost causes tears to come from my eyes today because my dad took a moment to build me up when I was already broken down. But I also know as a grown man standing before you that that's not every child's experience. Because unfortunately, there will be some parents who will pile on and begin to tell their child what they could have done, what they should have done. And that parent may even feel somewhat embarrassed based on the play of their child. So I know it's not everyone's experience but I do know on that day, I realized that my father loved me. I realized that my dad was pleased with me, even though I didn't play well. And I also knew that on that day, my dad said that you're good at something. And don't let this one moment take that away from you. So not only does every child need to hear that, but every student needs to hear those three things. I love you. I'm pleased with you. And you're good at something. You know why? Because God created you uniquely. He gave you things that he didn't give anyone else. There's a talent you have. There's a way that you have of doing things that no one else can do it the way that God created you to do it. So even if you enter into a field that a lot of people are in, you are doing that uniquely and specifically because of how he wired you and how he made you. And every teenager needs to hear that because we are so prone to compete and compare and look down on ourselves and not realize that we are fearfully and wonderfully uniquely made yeah. by God. Yeah. And he has a purpose, a call, a plan, a destiny for each one of us. But not only does every child need to hear those three things and every teenager need to hear those three things, but every adult needs to hear those three things as well. And that is, I love you. I am pleased with you. You're good at something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Words of affirmation. We all need encouragement sometime. Not only on the receiving end, but we need to speak it as well. Especially if we have children, especially if we have teenagers, especially if we have adults in our lives, and we do, we need to speak these things to others. You say, Pastor Chris, why are those three things so important? I love you. I'm pleased with you. You're good at something. Pastor Chris, why are you harping on that? I'm harping on that because 
even Jesus in his humanity needed to hear those three things as well. And I'm going to show it to you from the scripture. And if Jesus needed to hear these things, how much more do we need to hear these things? So go with me to Matthew chapter 17. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Reading from the New International Version this morning. And the Bible reads, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, because you know that boy could run his mouth. While he was still speaking, he was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. There it is right there. This is my son with whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. So the question is, when it says that God the Father loves his son, he says, I love him. How do we know that God the Father loved his son? Because we're used to people saying that they love us, but they don't always show that they love us. Because love is more than a verbal affirmation. Love is action. Love is going to do something and not just say something. Some of us come from homes where our parents may have said, I love you by providing for you. The lights and what we just saying about the light bill, the shoes. I love you because I work hard and I pay bills. Mm -hmm. But that kid still needs to hear it. I love you and not just see it. And then there are folks who just hear it, but never see it. And so God the Father, who is an example for us, because some of us will say, Pastor Chris, I'm already hurting. Because I didn't grow up with a father like yours. And because of that, I have trouble seeing God as a father. But I want to encourage you today that the way God loves Jesus is the way that he loves us. And if you've never experienced this kind of love before, it's time for you to be this kind of love to someone else. So you may not have seen it, but it's time for you to show it. It's time for you to be it. Yeah, the wounds are real, but don't let them hold you in a place where you don't experience love because you didn't experience it in the past. Don't look down on God because you had a father or a mother who would not give you what you needed when you asked but I'm believing today that God is about to do a new thing in our lives. How do we know that God loved his son? I'm just going to share a couple of things with you from Scripture. This list is not exhaustive, 
but it's just a few things so that we can see what love does. Because I'm going to look at how God loved his son as a picture of how I am to love others. The first thing we see in how do we know that God loved his son is that he publicly affirmed Jesus. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. He takes Peter, James, and John. Moses and Elijah shows up when Jesus is transfigured. It's a picture of the kingdom to come. And so these men are speaking with Jesus. Peter sees this Christophanus, Christophany, this theophany. He sees something he's never seen before. And he begins talking. I mean, this guy, he, he can be up one minute, down the next. He can be on it and off it just like that. He should wear peppermint socks because the boy's foot is always up in his mouth. <laughs> He's like, Lord, let, can I build three shelters? One for you, Moses, and Elijah. Number one, you're messing up because Jesus is not on the plane with Moses and Elijah, and Elijah and Moses are not on the plane with Jesus. Jesus is distinct, unique, set apart from any and every one that has ever lived. So you don't put other folks on his level, which is why God had to speak up in that moment of lunacy because Peter was caught up in that moment, and there was a glory on Moses and Elijah, but hold, stop the presses now. This is my son. With him, I am pleased, well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, shut up. Because you can't listen and talk at the same time. Listen to him. So God publicly affirms his son. Now, this is the second time the father does this. The first time he does this is when Jesus started his earthly ministry and he was baptized by John the Baptist right at the inauguration of his ministry. He gets baptized. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God came down upon Jesus like a dove, and God spoke from heaven, saying the same thing. This is my beloved Son, or the Son whom I love. With him I am pleased, well pleased. Listen to him. So the Father publicly affirms his Son. And isn't it good when we publicly affirm the people that we love? Secondly, he was pleased with Jesus because the scripture says it. This is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. He was pleased with Jesus. And as I said, this is the second time in Matthew 17 that he gives this public affirmation. The first time he does it is in Matthew chapter 3. And he gives this declaration that he's pleased with Jesus before Jesus begins his earthly ministry. Don't miss that. He says, I'm pleased with you before he begins his earthly ministry, meaning that God being pleased with Jesus has nothing to do with his performance. Now, he's going to say it in Matthew 17 because Jesus had been ministering upwards of, you know, two and a half years or more. Son, I'm pleased with who you are and what you do. But if we rewind it to Matthew chapter three, I'm pleased with you before you ever do anything. And some of us grew up with conditional pleasing. That we were only pleasing when we passed. We were only pleasing when we hit a home run, scored a touchdown. We were only pleasing when we were the valedictorian. But this is a lesson to all of us as parents to say, I'm pleased with my child because of who they are and not because of what they do or don't do. So many lessons here. How do we know that God loved his son? He also promoted Jesus. Pastor, what do you mean? He says, this is my son whom I love. 
I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. You know why you need to listen to him? Because he's good at communication. You, you, you need to listen to him because never a man ever spoke like this man with the capital M. He's good at communicating and speaking the oracles of God. Oh, he's good at everything, but I just want to let you know just one thing he's good at. He's good at preaching. He's good at teaching. Listen to him. And everybody has something that they're good at. And we all need to promote that quality that that person has. How do we know that God loved his son? He publicly affirmed him. He was pleased with him. He promoted Jesus and he was present with Jesus. Love is action. The father is present with Jesus. John 8, 29, Jesus said, the father has not left me alone. That's love. I'm going to be with you. Not only that, I'm trying to do these P's in here. This is how I remember with the alliteration. Uh, uh, he was physically touched by his father. Uh-oh, pastor, what you talking about now? Because God is spirit. What you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go back to when Jesus was with God in the beginning before he got an earthly body. And when he got that body, he'd never stop being God. But before he got the body, he was spirit as well. Word. He was the word. What are words? They're spirit. The word was flesh. Or rather, the word was with God and then the word became flesh. So when the word spirit was with God, the father spirit the Bible says in the book of John, chapter 1, that Jesus was in the bosom of God the Father. Whatever they had as spirit was intimate with each other. The eternal Father and the eternal Son had intimacy in eternity past. And Jesus said, I am in the bosom of my Father and I've made him known. In other words, I am close and endearing to my Father. Because a lot of us grew up in homes where, yeah, we had a father, but he wasn't intimate with us. He didn't touch us, didn't hug us, didn't hold us, but he whipped us. He disciplined us. And so what we see from the father here is there is a touch. Jesus is in the bosom. Not only that, the father provided for Jesus to show that he loved him. In Luke chapter 22, verse 43, here's one instance. The Bible says when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating as it was, great drops of blood that the angels came and ministered to him. The angels were sent when he withstood the trials and the tests of the enemy in the wilderness. The angels came and ministered to him. Well, where did they come from? From the father. Go down there and take care of my boy. So he provided for Jesus. He protected Jesus because that's what love does. He protected Jesus when he was a babe, when Herod came to try and kill the king of the Jews, God the Father protected his son, and they took a flight into Egypt. If you don't know about that story, it's in the scripture. If you have a child that needs to know that story, shameless plug, my wife has just written a book about it called Brown Baby Jesus, shameless plug, where Mary and Martha, who are brown, take brown baby Jesus into brown Egypt, Africa, where they hang out until Herod dies. Uh, that book is for sale on Amazon, it's in Barnes and Noble, it's everywhere. But he protected Jesus. He protected Jesus from the mob as men tried to kill him. You know how the Bible would say that he passed through the crowd? Because it was not his time or his hour. 
where they were ready to throw him off of a cliff in his hometown. But because it wasn't his time and the father protected him, he could walk through the mob. God's hands of protection were on Jesus. Not only that, God showed his love to Jesus by paying attention to him. John eleven forty two, when Jesus is outside of the tomb of Lazarus and he begins to pray, this is what he says. I know that you always hear me. In other words, you're paying attention to me because you're always listening to me. Oh, boy, this is beautiful. God the Father also pushed Jesus. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, Matthew 26, verse 39, it talks about how Jesus in his humanity was somewhat shrinking back from drinking the cup of suffering and separation on the cross from his father, carrying our sins on his body. He was like, Lord, Lord, uh, if, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. He prayed it three times. And the father lovingly pushed his son towards the destiny that they had determined before the world began that the lamb would be slain. But in that moment, Jesus in his humanity, struggling, but the father pushed him. Anybody struggling in your call? Yeah, if God called you, then it ain't easy. There's going to be resistance. There are going to be cups to drink that you don't want to drink. There are places to go you don't want to go, but you've got a father Who's going to lovingly encourage you to do what you don't want to do, but it's what you need to do? That's a good father. But then he also pulled Jesus from death. My God. He was ordained for the son to die. No one would take his life, but he laid it down. And the father pulled Jesus from death. Acts 1040. It says that God raised him on the third day. And then finally, in this list that is not exhaustive, the father placed honor on Jesus as a way to show that he loved his son. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, God the father said to Jesus, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. So I'm going to give you a place of honor on my right hand. Sit down from your work, and I'm going to deal with your enemies, and I'm going to make them a footstool. And so the father placed honor upon Jesus, giving him a name that is above every. So how do we know that God loved his son? Because he said it right here, but he shows it in so many ways. God the Father was and still deeply in love with his son. He loved his son. And here's the transition. And God the Father is also deeply in love with you and me. He loves his son. And he also loves us. We struggle to get that, though. Sometimes we think we got to earn his love. Sometimes we think we can lose his love. Sometimes we think that we're unlovable. But no, no, God is love, and he will never stop loving us. But just like with Jesus, there's some proof that we can look at. John chapter 17. Here, here it is. Here's some proof. How do I know that God loves me? I know he loves Jesus. I get that. But how do I know he loves me? And this is not to center me, myself, or to individualize Christianity. We've got enough of that. But we do have to know how precious each and every one of us happen to be to the Father. John 17, verse 20. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. He's on his way to Calvary, and he 
has a moment to pray. And he says, my prayer, he's talking to his father, is not for them alone. Speaking of the disciples, the 11. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Can I stop and pause for a minute? Jesus says, I'm praying for the people who's going to believe in him through the message of the original apostles and disciples. I just want to know, are there any believers in here who believe the message about Jesus? In other words, has Jesus' prayer been answered with you? Because Jesus says, I'm praying for those who are going to believe. Are there any believers in the house? Anybody believe in Jesus Christ? Anybody born again up in here? I just want to make sure I'm not by myself. I'm a believer. Thank you. I'm a believer. And so Jesus' prayer got answered with me. Thank you, God. June 29th, 1984, when I watch that film and I see kids at a camp, at a retreat, having a good time, it breaks my heart in a great way because I got saved at a camp. I didn't get saved in church. I got saved out of the church at a camp, connected with church because I was too churchy to meet Jesus in church. But I met him at a camp where they spoke my language and they did all the dancing and did all this. I heard about Jesus got saved at the camp. That's why we're going to always support our students up in here, because I don't know who the next Chris Williamson going to be that's going to take my place up in here, that's going to do great things for God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And I love seeing the young people singing today. My God. And they don't have to sing on just the fifth Sunday. My God. Oh, Lord, I can stop, but I got to keep going. Verse 22, 21, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you. Now stop and pause. This ain't the sermon, but I got to throw this in for free. We're here today because Jesus' prayer got answered. We heard the gospel. The gospel went down for centuries. The church lived and survived and thrived. We became a part of the kingdom of God. But I don't know, man. Is this? The only prayer that Jesus will pray that doesn't get answered on earth, and that is for the church to be one. Is it going to be answered where we're one? Not the same, unified, but not in uniformity. But can the church, will the church be one? The way I look at it now, I, I don't see it. But here's the deal. The way that the true church becomes one, it's through the fires of persecution. And that just might have to happen for the church in America, yet alone the global church, to become unified around Jesus is through persecution. Some folk are going to fall away from Jesus. Others of us are going to press into Jesus, and we're not going to care what socioeconomic status the person is next to us pressing in, what ethnic group, what denomination they're from. If they're pressing into Jesus, getting a hold of the one who's gotten a hold of us, then we are the body of Christ and we'll be unified. But I just think it's only going to come through suffering. But anyway, yeah, yeah, I, I believe that prayer will be answered. Maybe not in my lifetime, but we'll see. He goes on to say, he goes on to say, May they also be in us that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you see that? That the Father loves them or us, even as he has loved his son. 
So for those wondering, does God love me? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And you can't stop him from loving you. I'm going to prove what love does in our relationship with God. How do we know that God loves us like he loves his son? Well, let me run through these and we'll be done. Number one, he is pleased with us. Doesn't that sound familiar? Ephesians 1.6 says that he has made us accepted. You accept things that you're pleased with. And he's pleased with us regardless of our performance. What I'm trying to say is any kind of works-based righteousness is no righteousness at all. When we think that uh, if I perform right, then God will love me well. It's called performance-based acceptance. Because we may have had parents who only accept us or are pleased with us when we perform. But God's love is, watch the word, unconditional. We say it, but we don't always believe it. I know I don't always believe it. In other words, he loves me without conditions. He loves me without my performance or lack thereof. Because even on my best days, on my best moments, I'm still reeking with sin. Which is why I got to be covered in the righteousness of Jesus to make me acceptable in his presence, to make me pleased in the presence of God. It can never be based on my faithfulness because I'm usually not faithful. So what makes me secure is not my performance, but what Jesus did for me. So I'm accepted, Ephesians goes on to say, in the beloved. And in, in the Bible, it's capitalized with a B. The beloved is Jesus. So I'm accepted in the beloved one. I'm accepted in the one that God loves, Jesus. So God accepts me because he accepts Jesus. My God, help me get this, Lord. Another thing he does, he prioritizes us. Yes, he does. Romans 8, 15, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He priorities. Man, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to give you my spirit. And I'm going to adopt you, making you sons and daughters in my family. You don't earn it. You just receive it. And you believe it by faith. He also promotes us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 talks about how God will exalt us in due time. This is why your times are not in the hands of your employer, your professor, or anyone. Your times are in the hands of God, and he will promote you when he sees fit, how he sees fit, where he sees fit. No one can stop what God has for you except you when you say, I don't believe, or you're walking arrogantly, and the Bible says he resists the proud. When you're doing it in your own strength, you're, pr you're not praying he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and he will exalt the humble in due time. What else does he do to show me that he loves me? He's present with us. John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, my father will love him, Jesus said, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Oh, he's present with us. If I make my bed in hell, he's there. If I take the wings of, of the dove and fly to the heavens, he's there. No matter where I go, he's there. 
He provides for us as a proof of his love. Philippians 4, 19, Paul says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. He's not a deadbeat dad who says, I'll be there to pick you up and never shows up. Because some kids go through that. Who don't get provision, who don't get taken care of. But I'm here to let you know, God takes care of his children. He protects us. Matthew 6, 13, when Jesus said, this is how you're supposed to pray, our Father. And then he works it all the way down in that prayer. And then he says, and deliver us from the evil one. And he will protect us. Yes, he does. He pays attention to us just like he pays attention to Jesus. Matthew 6, 8 says, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. He pays attention to, knows the hairs on our head, knows the pain in our heart. My God. But watch this, though. This made our list, but not Jesus' list. Kind of. Stay with your pastor. He shows his love to us by punishing us. That don't get a lot of amens. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He disciplines. Because if he doesn't discipline you, then that may mean you're not his child, you're illegitimate. But if you're his child and you keep acting up, he will lovingly discipline. Some of us as parents can learn something from God the Father. Because we think love means just letting that kid keep doing what he or she keep doing. Sit down, sit down, sit down. No, you need to get up and do something about that kid not sitting down. Back in my day, all they had to do was give you a look. You knew what that look meant. And if they called your name, Taylor University, they, they, and if they put your middle name in there, it's, it's, it's something different. Uh, Christopher Wesley Williamson. It's different. I never wanted to hear my father raise his voice at me. Because when he did, did man, it shook me. Same lap that I could laugh in and play around. I would grab his muscles and everything. Man, same lap. He turned me over in and tanned that behind. Bring back the days of yay and nay when we could plainly see the way. I mean, we need to bring. So why did spanking go out of style? <laughs> like back in the day, we used to wear them Azar shirts, the pink, and then the green underneath, put the collars up. I'm glad that went out of style. Some stuff need to go out of style and stay out of style. But let's bring spanking back. But anyway. <laughs> We had a lady at the church bring her child to me to spank her. Single parent. She brought her child to church for me to spank that child. That child is now a productive citizen of the United States of America and is serving in the Navy, doing big things. But anyway, uh, 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 he punishes us. 
But I got to say this here because it's, it's, it's very nuanced and, and kind of theologically difficult. Because the Bible says that God struck his son. Isaiah 53, 4, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Isaiah 53, 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Rather than punishing us for our sins, our eternal sins, or, or, or the sins that separate us from God as unbelievers, God punished his son Jesus as if he did the things that we do that require eternal separation from him and damnation in the place of hell. Jesus took our place out of love, took our penalty for us on his body because he was perfect and he died for all of our imperfections. In love, he got in the way so that God could pardon us because of the payment of Jesus. That's the gospel. And that's what changes our lives. Another thing God does is that he promises us. 2 Peter 1.4, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. He gives us promises found in the word of God. What a good father. And he doesn't promise and not deliver. Whatever he promises, he'll deliver. We believe it as we sang today. But then finally, in this list, that is also not exhaustive. Not only is God pleased with us and prioritizes us and promotes us and is present with us and provides for us and protects us and pays attention to us and even lovingly punishes us so that he can pardon us, promises us, finally he praises us. What? God, the Father, praises us? Yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, Then each one's praise will come from God. So in glory, God will praise, not praise by way of worship, but praise by way of honor, that he will honor us, and many of us will hear, Well done, my good and faithful Servant. I want to hear the Father speak like that over me. I know He's pleased with me because of who I am and whose I am, but I also want to live my life in such a way where I have crowns that He may give to me that I could take off and cast at His feet, that I can turn it back around and say, Lord, the only reason I have anything is because you gave me everything. I want to hear Him say, Chris, well done, my God. Well, the way God loves Jesus is the way that he loves you and me. But we have to believe it. And the way it shows up is in how we live. But I want to spend more time meditating on these truths as opposed to the world's lies about love. I'm going to ask that the trunk hosts will be dismissed at this time. If you're one of the trunk hosts, uh, would you step out at this time? And we will come and see you momentarily. This is good. Amen.
with a love like this, it casts out the fear and allows us to be bold with God and even other people and circumstances and situations that come against us. When you know that you're loved, it makes you bold. Not cocky, but bold. So not only does it cast out fear, but it covers a multitude of sin. God, you loved me so much that you forgave me. You demonstrated love, and you allowed your son to die for me. My sins are covered. So, Lord, that guilt stuff, that condemning myself, no, God. I confess my sins to you. You're faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me, and I'm going on because you love me. And this kind of love also allows me to be a conqueror, an overcomer, because of this love that he has for me. Well, let me pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the word that you've preserved for us. Thank you that you are love personified. When your son walked the earth, he was love personified. We thank you for that. And Lord, to be his disciples, you call us to love each other so the world can know that we belong to you. Love is the greatest of all these. Show us how to love like you. But Lord, we can't give away what we don't walk in or receive or believe. I pray for the person struggling with forgiveness of others, people who've hurt them, people who have ruined trust, broken trust. I pray, Lord, you show that person, you show me how to love without conditions. Oh, God, love is so deep, it can even be dangerous, but it's always worth it. Fill us, God, with your spirit and show us how much we love and how we can love even as we're being loved. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.